0: Uh, If you can hear this, you are in and we're going to get to our calls pretty soon. But before we start the podcast, I just kind of want to give a little rundown. Um, I've got, you know, I see the questions here and I'll answer uh, the call and then just, you know, give me your name, maybe where you're from, and then go ahead and ask your question. So we'll get started here. Welcome back to the Live Wild podcast, everyone. I'm really excited because this week we've got our Live Wild Live. It's our call-in show We've been doing uh, what I call the elk month. So a lot of elk tips and tactics, Today, it's the beginning of September, and a lot of people are heading out on their elk hunts. We've got a lot of questions today, it looks like, a lot pertaining to elk hunting as well. So I think we're going to just jump right into the questions here. Also, a really cool thing is we've got a pair of Schnee's tooth boots for One Lucky Caller. It's been fun to be able to give some stuff back, so I appreciate everybody calling in, uh, the support of the show, and this is kind of my little way of, of giving back, so... Um, I'm really excited for the elk season. I actually, um, I'm having a good day today because today I was able to finally secure an Idaho tag on the quote unquote first come first serve tags. Um, One of the leftover tags, I finally got a unit that I wanted to hunt. So it's it's, this day is already starting out beautifully. I've got an elk tag in my pocket now and uh, hopefully be headed out here shortly to go chase some elk around. I just got back from a recent trip Um, I was caribou hunting last week and uh, still hunting with the mouth tab, got an awesome bull, and uh, I'll be kind of recapping some of that here on social media soon. So let's jump right into the calls. Let's see, our first call, I think it's Dave. Dave, you there?
1: Yeah, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I got you good. How's it going, man?
1: Oh, it's good. I am driving through BC to get to Alberta to go elk hunting.
0: Oh, perfect. Right on.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's a perfect time to ask you a couple questions.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: So last year, my brother and I found a good bedding area uh, with a little wallow kind of right on the edge of it. So access into it last year was nearly impossible through all the deadfall. Like, you can't sneak into it. So this year, we're going up over the ridge to get to the top and then to start our hunt from up there. If we don't hear elk or see elk glassing tonight do you think it's worth it to just move on to another area or would you try to call into it or wait it out because like there's definitely elk there the signs there we heard a bugle last year from that area but by the time we got there the elk were gone
0: yeah that's a good question so from where you're glassing from like is it more of a burn type country like like what kind of country are you in just to kind of get an idea of like all right how how much can you cover with your eyes in this particular area and how much of it is going to need to be man you're just going to have to commit to getting into that spot where you think the elk are kind of congregating
1: i would say it's probably about 50 percent open and 50 percent pretty thick timber
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, there's, I would definitely, you know, it's still a little bit early um, in the season. So I would definitely, you know, tonight get in there and start glassing. Um, I don't necessarily know that I would abandon that particular spot, just after that first night, um, I definitely give it a morning as well. So I'd probably, if it was me and I said, Hey, this is a good area, um, I'm going to go check it out, I would go in there, I'd glass tonight. If I didn't see anything tonight, I would do the same thing in the morning. But I would also be casting out those bugles like right um, in the evening tonight just to kind of do some location. And then in the morning, kind of on the way in or, or pre light, throwing out some bugles, really hoping to get something calling. Then if I didn't spot anything glassing, um, you know, first thing in the morning, then I would start kind of making my plays like working into the areas where I think the elk are holding uh, and then kind of plan on being in that area for the evening as well. But it sounds like the the wallows and the beds, you know, it's, it's a little bit thicker in there and maybe that's more of a bedding spot. Um, so I would probably kind of expect, uh, what I'm assuming is you kind of heard him in there. Then by the time you got in there, they had either moved off or had gone to a bed and, and quieted down. Um, and I'd maybe either like, you know, play it. Like if you, if that happened again, I would try to get to that spot in the time that they were there the day before. So kind of playing that chess match and trying to kind of, uh, think of where they might be tomorrow. So it's like, okay, then the next day get in there earlier, um, and be into position. It's really tough though, you know, working through that, that big deadfall uh, in the dark. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes what I've done those,
1: yeah, definitely like last year, Oh go ahead. It it took us probably three hours to move three kilometers last year. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty tricky. I mean there's places where I've I've hunted like that and you know, if the weather's good, man, I'll just like get a a light set up where I can just go in there, you know, park a little ways off, like find a good spot, camp out, just sleep the night and then be ready in the morning. Um, I've had to do that before, but for the most part, I think, you know, if you can kind of find other elk that are easier to get into and you can make easier plays, uh, it never hurts. So I would definitely, you know, put emphasis on that glassing first, especially this time of year. And then if you're getting them, getting those elk fired up, um, you know, make your play that way. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things, man, when, when you're hunting that, that I love to hunt the places people don't want to walk into. Deadfall is one of those places. I kill more elk walking through really bad deadfall spots than anywhere. It's just because it it weeds out a lot of people. Um, for that reason, it's hard to, it's hard to travel through, you know? So I definitely think you've got a spot that you can kind of count on, but I also kind of have those spots and go, okay, well, if I don't find these other elk, this is where I'm going to go. And I, so I think, I think you're playing it right.
1: Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Remy. I really appreciate everything you put out there. You really help everybody learn.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thanks, and, and good luck. Keep me posted, man. I, I Hopefully, I uh, see a picture of a big bull that you guys took, so good Let's work so. and uh, good luck.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Remy. Yeah, have a good, have a good
0: one. Yeah. Yep. Bye. All right. We're going to go to our next caller here. Is this Tim?
2: Hey, this is Tim. Hey, good morning, Remy.
0: How's it going, man?
2: Good. 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 Hey, um, So I'm uh, Eagle, Idaho, near the, the Boise area. Um, so I've, I've got some of those tags that you were talking about just recently. Um, awesome. As, as a fairly new uh, big game hunter, I, I'm on my third year now um, with, with a, a great draw the first year, a, a lucky draw, and then last year an actual just over-the-counter. Um, shot a 6 by 6 about four miles from camp. Um, and it was some pretty nasty deadfall, uh, that same kind of area you were just talking about with, uh, the, the train being pretty miserable. But my, my question to you yeah. is with, with the, the heat that we've been having here in Idaho and not sure, you know, at, at what rate it's going to decline this year, do you have a general rule of thumb for distance for, you know, how far you're willing to go from camp in regards to uh, age of shooting in general, but then what, what's the timing with packing out meat in order to get it to the core?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, you know, one thing that I think we're fortunate with a lot of the places, Rocky Mountain West elk seasons, is it might be hot during the day, but it, it still will cool off at night. Um, you know, I don't really set a limit on like, okay, this is too far. This is, you know, I, I try to just be like, okay, I'm going to hunt elk where the elk are at. Um, you know, one thing you're just going to think about is when you get your elk down, you, you've got to hang it, you've got to cool it, you've got to get it in the shade. Um, I definitely don't, the way that I think about it too, is like, Hey, when I get one down, I I don't mind putting in that extra work. So there's been many times where it's like, it's hot. So I shoot one, I get it cooled down. I make that first trip out right then, and then go back at night or first thing in the morning, you know, it will, I mean, generally this time of year, your, your meat's going to be fine hanging overnight because the temperatures are going to drop. Um, you know, so the key is just going to be cool it down right away. Um, another thing you might want to think about is taking out the bones in it, like just really opening that meat up, letting it cool down, letting an air out, getting good circulation around it, hanging it in the shade or somewhere where you got a good breeze. And then, you know, just making short work of the pack out, even though it's long. So I think of it like this is like, I'm going to spend the rest of the week or whatever, um, hunting hiking putting in those miles once that animal's down now it's time to do the work there's been many times that i've packed out elk through the night because it's cooler during the night and i'm like you know i'm done at this point so i don't mind just grinding really hard for that pack out and be like all right i'm gonna make a trip tonight go back up or halfway back up or start those you know get it to a a position where it's in a better spot Um, another thing that i think about too when i'm planning like my routes and stuff for the pack outs is sometimes I'll just say like, okay, I'm going to take the more shaded cooler route if it's going to be a long ways, because when the meat's in your pack, you know, that's, that's the point where it's not airing out as much. So you're going to let it cool down before you get it in your pack, then you're going to get it in your pack. And sometimes it's like, okay, I could, I could side hill through this open, or I could drop down this, this shaded Creek bottom. So I'll drop down that shaded Creek bottom. Then if I need to take a break, um, I keep, I, I generally like to keep the peak quarter or whatever handy or for that quarter. I'll stop. I'll take it out of the pack. I'll hang it up for a little bit. I'll take my break. Then I'll load it back up and, and head on down the trail. So um, I wouldn't say that I, I definitely I, – I generally don't think about, oh, this is too far for this time because, uh, you know, uh, knock on wood, I've never had an elk spoil. Um, and I've shot elk in pretty hot conditions, but just taking care of them the right way uh, and then just, you know, with the thought of getting it back as soon as possible and doing what it takes to do that, if that
2: makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Last year, uh, kind of, uh, called in my first elk ever, um, and kind of went down a rabbit hole with going further and further away from camp. So my wife was with me. We had set up a tent in the back country and then decided after we had, um, cut it up that we, we had to hang it cause there was no way we were going to get back at all with the meat. So, um, we hung it up and then the next day we packed it all out and it was, it was a pretty strenuous pack, but, um, no get, appreciate the information and uh you know the tips for uh following kind of the shade line and i'm getting it out that's probably pretty helpful so appreciate that
0: yeah awesome well good luck to you and uh hopefully uh you find some success this season and keep me posted
2: yeah absolutely thank you
0: yep have a good one
2: you too Bye.
0: all right we're gonna go to our next caller here this is derek
3: yep i'm here hey derek how's it going man I'm I'm good. I first want to say this is awesome being able to talk to you. Uh, my friend and I just found success um, hunting antelope uh, using a lot of your tactics, and so. Oh, right
0: on! Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Was that uh, with a with a bow or with a rifle?
3: Yeah, he got drawn for uh, uh, early season uh, with a bow in Wyoming. Oh, awesome! Very cool. Yeah, everybody we talked right to said that you can't do it, and he got it done on opening day.
0: Oh wow! Right on. Well, that's great.
3: Very yeah, cool. Yeah, pretty incredible.
0: What's uh, what kind of elk question? It looked like you had a question about elk hunting.
3: Yes. Um, so I I apologize. I'm a East Coast Flatlander, and so this um, is probably a dumb question, but. I'm gonna ask it anyway. Yeah, go for it. So my friend, he got drawn for a Missouri Missouri breaks uh, early season, so it's on bow, and we we started reading um, all of the all the stuff about uh, Missouri breaks and the area, and the topography, and how um, it's it's a very wild place, and there's not very much pressure from hunting, especially during bow season. Um, one of the, one of the tactics that, that was, uh, is someone took their John boat and used it early mornings to, to basically use thermals to their benefit. And I'm wondering if that's, um, possible because you've been out, out that way and, uh, I've never seen the bank in the Missouri break.
0: Yeah. Um, so you're saying just like using a boat to kind of access some of those areas is what you're, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to access a lot of stuff. Um, You know, I mean, I don't know that I think that there is a lot of elk pressure out there, but uh, you know, especially during the archery season, I would say that it's probably one of the more pressured areas um, or can be uh, but especially now the way that they did it where you can't hunt anywhere else. So the guys that have those tags, which is quite a few, um, will probably be out there, but, uh, you know, there are ways to get away from people, um, accessing, you know, hunting areas with the raft or boat is a great way to access things. It's actually funny. Cause the first time my brother and I hunted out there, uh, we didn't know we were, we were, um, we spotted some elk across the river and we're like, the river, uh, the Missouri River, looks pretty big. Is kind of chocolate cutter. and we're like man, it looks deep. And we didn't have a boat, so like we're like, okay, we got to figure out a way to get on these elk. So we went into the small town. Like there was nothing available. with like this, like essentially like one of those like kids Sawyer rafts, you know, like a little raft. And we're like, all right, we're gonna take this raft down the river. And so we 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 load the raft up with our hunting stuff, and we start, and we've got like a little paddle. And we, we get it, we launch it in the river and we start paddling and we realize that the the river where we were at was only <laughs> like six or eight inches deep we could have just walked across the whole thing um so we were like oh geez well that was a waste but um you know there was other places that were a lot deeper and we and we ended up using that raft uh to access some areas and that was our best hunting for that particular uh on that particular trip there so um yeah you know definitely using a boat or a john boat a raft whatever can be a great way to access some areas you know some of that you know, it just depends on the water levels that time of year. You might find that uh, wherever you're hunting, you might throw a John boat in and just be like run aground most of the time. So I would think that a raft might work really well um, just because you can skim over a lot sh- more shallow water. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, accessing some of that stuff with a boat is a great way to hunt it. And it's a good way to just get into some stuff that maybe other people aren't getting into or if you've got a unit that you can hunt both sides of the river, just being able to, to cross back and forth makes it a lot easier for sure
3: awesome
0: yeah well best of luck out there it's a it's an incredible place a really fun elk hunt and uh the cool thing about it is potential for just some giant bulls so it's definitely uh definitely a cool spot to to check out sweet well thank you for uh thank you for answering the question yep yeah best of luck to you guys all right all right we're gonna go to our next caller here welcome to live wild podcast who am i talking to
4: Remy, hi, this is James from Virginia, calling from Oakland, California. How's it going, James? Doing well. want to offer an obligatory thank you both for sharing your knowledge and then offering a board to us. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. My elk hunting question is on mentorship. I'm taking a yep. uh, total elk newbie out to the woods of Colorado, third season rifle this year and wonder what tips tactics spring to mind on coaching, say uh, less experienced clients. You've taken the field, obviously keep the zoom dialed all the way out, quiet call within close range where possible. Is anything else spring to mind in the way of mentoring a new elk hunter with rifle?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the big things, um, when especially you know with new hunters uh when it comes to elk hunting and and one of the things that i kind of see you know the mistake that people make a lot is just well, well there's a couple things first is just like the expectation you know um you know, I think that, you know, sometimes whether they're new or not, you know, whether knowing it's like, hey, you know, elk hunting can be a difficult thing, right? So it might take a while to find the elk. It might take a while, whatever, but you got to go through the steps and the paces to find those elk. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, people, maybe somebody that's new to elk hunting and they're like, it's like deer hunting or or whatever they're used to. And they go, oh, well, I didn't realize like I had to walk so much. I didn't realize that we'd be sitting here glassing so much. And not that all that's generally like, a bonus, but, you know, just understanding like the whole process of elk hunting and just kind of helping them kind of build that picture of, okay, here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to, we're going to glass, then we're going to walk these areas. And just kind of knowing that like, Hey, here's, here's how you kind of get prepared for that mentally. Cause I think a lot of the success and enjoyment for new hunters, whatever it is, is just kind of like matching those expectations. Right. So, you know, just like building out that whole hunt. Now, when it comes to strategies, um, one of the things that I see new hunters kind of mess up on the most is when it comes to that action of stalking in and they're really like focused on their feet and they aren't looking up as much as they should. So, you know, it's like one of those scenarios where it's, it's a new hunter there. We've found the elk. Now we're moving in and we're going to make our shot and they're kind of taking the lead a little bit or or whatever and or anyone is and they're they're looking down they're watching their feet they're trying to be quiet but they forget to look up and see where are those elk at and, and then that's how it gets blown most of the time. I've seen more people blow really good stocks by just not paying attention to their surroundings. So I think that's one really thing that I stress a lot when I take people out is like the importance of paying attention to your surroundings as you're walking, take those steps and look around, um, you know, look at the ground. Yes. But um, as you're moving and everything, you really need to be paying attention to everything around you because uh, it's those little things of just moving in the wrong time or, or not seeing that elk that is watching you walk toward them or get set up, um, that, that makes a big difference. So paying attention to those things, paying attention to the wind. Uh, those are things that I always stress with new hunters is they're like, Hey, what, what I want to be better at hunting. What are the few steps that I can take to do that? And those are a few of the things that I think are probably the most important is just like paying attention to all the little things, the wind, uh, walking, looking up and around, paying attention to where the animals are and paying attention to like, You know, uh, planning your stock to where you can get a shot from, not just to where the animals are at. And I think by kind of adding those things in, it just makes that person a little more um, ready for when that opportunity comes. And then the other thing uh, that I definitely think about, whether it's new to hunting or new to elk hunting, um, probably mostly more new to hunting, but um, I actually did this last week. I took someone out. Uh, We were all caribou hunting and uh, one of my friend's wives had never hunted before. And so we took her out on her first rifle hunt and she was able to harvest her first animal. And and the first thing I did was, uh, get her like familiar with using the shooting sticks and and, like getting into shooting positions. So in elk hunting, one, one of the shooting positions that I always have people that are new to it kind of get set up with is like getting up to a tree and, and learning how to stabilize yourself, maybe standing using a tree and then using shooting sticks, being able to move those fluidly and, and acquire whatever target you're looking at. And then, you know, going from prone to sitting and just practicing all those shooting positions in that kind of country. Like constantly learning how to get steady that rifle because that plays a big factor in the success later on. So I hope that answers a few of the questions. There's a there's a lot there, but I think all you know, kind of all those little things, um, you know, pay big dividends in the end.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I learned that the hard way stalking in on a public land blacktail only get blown out by cow elk that were bedded around because I wasn't looking. So
0: thanks. Yep yeah yeah well keep me posted good luck this season and uh hopefully you guys get into some bulls
5: appreciate it
0: take care you too all right. We've got another caller here it looks like it's alex is alex
6: yeah it is how's it going yeah pretty good how are you man doing good thank you um i've got two questions the first one's real quick um on your calling tactics of dog in a bowl where you know you're chasing them up the ridge, and then they go up and over, and you switch the calling, right? Um, my yep. my question on that is, what do you do about the wind, right? Because on the way up, the wind's coming down, so it's in your face. But when you go up and over, wouldn't that be like going right to them?
0: Uh, no. You know, generally it it just depends. So if it's the thermals that are rising sometimes, you know, generally those elk are going to be moving into the wind. So you're going to be following them, following and following them into the wind. When they go over that ridge, the prevailing wind should be the same. So up on that ridge, it'll be, it'll be pulling that scent down. Many times that prevailing wind will now be, uh, kicking that thermal, um, you know, so it will just, you know, it just depends on what time of day it is and whatever. So, the, those elk are going to continue generally to keep moving in the wind. Most of the time, when you crest over, the wind's still good. Um, it's just just so happens to be that they were, you know, they start to work into the wind and they're following it down the other side. Sometimes the thermal will get you where you pop over onto a shaded side, and then that that thermal is now drafting down. Uh, in the this is talking in the mornings, right? Um, but it once that hill starts to heat up, then that thermal is going to switch. Generally, it, I, you, you aren't too worried about it because um, you know the wind's going to be a little bit more erratic depending if they go over a peak or something like that. Um, but you should be close enough at that point that the wind's still consistent from what it was on the backside and that bulls should still come in. Plus, you'll have that good wind. So he's going to try to come up. He might try to circle you to try to wind that scent, sound, um, but you're going to use that ridge and that advantage of being up higher to kind of cut him off. Um, you know, if the, if you get to the top and the wind's like blowing straight down to them or, y- you know, you, you don't feel right, then you're like, you you pull back and you just wait for that next opportunity, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I would say that like, you know, it, it's got, everything's got to be right. Uh, generally, I find that, you know, there's start... This is kind of a, that tactic is mostly in the morning. It doesn't, you know, you normally don't end up dogging them that successfully in the evening because the way that the winds are going to be switching. So it's a morning thing. So like they're bugling pre-light, you get them going. Now they're rounding up their cows and they're, they start to move uphill. They're they're moving. Um, at some point that wind's going to start shifting and that thermal is going to start going up. And that's one of the reasons like, you know, it makes it difficult. But if you catch them with that stable wind, it's, it's just part of the game. Like you got to get that, that, all the conditions Conditions right. Um, but for the most part, when the, when the conditions are right, uh, once you get to the top, it's still good.
6: Okay. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. And then my other question, is just has to do with like meat care. Um, I'm just wondering yep. like, if it's better, like, cause what I've done in, in years past is, you know, stick it in a freezer and just freeze it solid until I can get to it. Um, but I'm wondering if there's a better approach to like letting it hang and like how that all works as far as like rigor mortis and aging and stuff like that like is it bad to freeze it then saw it then process it then freeze it again like obviously that's what i've been doing and it's been fine but is there a better way to approach that
0: yeah so one thing you want to avoid um with like the freezing just for like a higher quality product in the end i think they call it like uh what do they call it like um Uh, I guess the term escapes me right now, but, um, it's like cold shortening where if you freeze the, the animal before the rigor breaks down, it generally is just like not as good of an end product. It's a lot tougher. So what I like to do is I like to let it at least let the rigor break down before you freeze it. Um, I always try to not freeze then thaw then, freeze again uh the the exception to that is for burger. sometimes what i'll do is all so what i do is i i'll get my elk back and i'll try to you know like um refrigerate it or whatever um and then let it sit for at least i like to let it go for two or three days before i start to butcher just enough time to like really let that rigor break down. You're like, well, is, is the rigor broken down yet? I mean, what you can always do is just cook a test steak. And if it seems really tough still, then you go, okay, I'll let it sit for a little bit longer. Because the little more time that you give, what it's doing is just allowing that meat to break down. So if you have the ability to keep it refrigerated um, or hanging in a cool, safe meat-safe temperatures, that's ideal if there's no option, then, you know, I mean, you, you do what you got to do, right. Cause you don't want the meat to spoil, obviously. Um, now one thing that I will do, like I said, you know, I will generally butcher my animal and I'll cut up, take out all the like grind stuff and sometimes it's just a lot to butcher a whole elk and do all the stuff you want to do with it so sometimes I'll I'll vacuum pack all those big pieces of all the cuts for the grind and then I'll put that in the freezer because I like to grind it anyways partially frozen um and generally I just do like one grind uh, a grind every once in a while so if I got another hunt coming up then I just instead of cleaning everything I just like pull all the grind out of the freezer and do a big grind and then refreeze that burger um, but I would say the, the best method would be to not freeze it right away, to let it age in under refrigeration temperatures, uh, for three to five days. You could go longer if you want, but I think that that's pretty optimal and then do your butchering and then one freeze.
6: Okay. Gotcha. So just stick it in the cool, I could just leave it in the cooler even for five days, as long as it's, you know, don't freeze it, but just.
0: You, you can. Um, I would say that it's better. I, I generally don't like to leave it in the cooler for prolonged periods of time for the reason that um, it's not getting that air circulation around it. And what I like to do is like, you know, cause it, 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 then it's kind of sitting in that water. It's pulling the blood out. It actually, even though it's still, I, I, I don't know if I'd say it goes bad, but it gets like it, it, the flavor of it isn't as good. Um, so the best is like You know, if you could, uh, it's hard with an elk because they're so big, you know, sometimes like I literally just clear out everything in my fridge, put it somewhere else. Um, I take the stuff from my fridge, put it in the cooler, and then, you know, put the quarters in there um, to get some air circulation around it. If it's cool outside, what I do, I hang it in my garage and then I run a fan over it. So I'll just get like a a fan and just run the fan right on the meat. Um, So there's a few options. Um, you know, so one, another thing that I'll do is I'll cut like the big chunks, you know, like, okay, as I process, it it takes a long time. Right. So I'll cut the big chunks out and separate like big muscle groups right away, like just essentially bone it out. Then I'll take the vacuum sealer bags, like those long bags, make a long vacuum seal bag, vacuum seal that, and then store it in the fridge or something. So it's not allowing air to get to it. Um, and that's what we call like wet aging. And you can let it sit for a long time, as long as there's no air Uh, accessing it so then you can kind of butcher as necessary and then freeze as well Um, and that's another tactic that you can use and sometimes i'll do that like i ran out of room i got one quarter extra vacuum seal that quarter uh, put it in the cooler where the ice is below it so it's not getting wet and then there's no air getting into it and it's staying at that cool temperature and then that's another way to do it as well just to try to like maximize your space
6: okay gotcha cool i appreciate it
0: but you know like I said too, I mean, you know, that that's just to get the best quality meat. You know, there's you can kind of do anything, um, and still and it still works, right? So it's like, hey, your freezing method works for you. It doesn't mean you have to stop doing it, but I think that you'll just notice a little bit better quality out of your cuts, out of your steak, out of your burger if you if you don't freeze it first.
6: Okay, no, that's awesome. That's what
0: I'm looking for. Or if you don't freeze it right away. So perfect, right on. Well, good luck this season.
6: Yeah, appreciate it.
0: Yep, catch you later.
6: Yep, yeah, bye
0: all right let's go to our next caller here we got brandon on the line yeah what's up hey how's it going man good congrats on that idaho tag is it central or north Uh, I would never say, (laughs) boy, (laughs) saying the state is more than I generally stay, but you know, it's like, I think this year is just one of those years for me. It was, it was fairly difficult to secure tags. You know, they're becoming more popular everywhere. And I'm not saying Idaho's, you know, I mean, wherever guys elk hunt listening, it's like, Hunt where you can get a tag, right? Um, you know, this just happened to be where I could get a tag. I struck out in a lot of places, so um, finally secured one with some of the returned tags. So that was a, I was pretty stoked.
7: Awesome. Yeah, Idaho's definitely gotten really popular. I'm uh, up north, north Idaho, deep and deep, whatnot. My question basically is just about uh, elk hunt this morning. got into one, it's been fairly hard to locate them, whatnot, super hot. Our whole unit's on fire. Um, anyways, I mean, it's like it's like high 50s at uh, 4 and 5 in the morning. That's the low it's getting. Um, so, yeah. anyway, we're just getting, you know, weak, you know, type bugles type thing. Got in on one and ended up getting them to come in to, like, to where we're at wanting to get all set up, perfect spot. Our wind is perfect. Everything's good. But this bull comes and he hangs up right, right ten yards, you know, ten twenty yards in the big old thicket. We're right on, right outside, and not making a single sound. And he's just—you can hear him breaking sticks. You hear the his antlers popping, hitting bone, and shuts up. Yeah. And we're doing it, just you know, small cow calls here and that. He's not, you know, he only responded to the locator bugle, but he's liking the cow calls, but. He's still doing the same thing, just kind of circling, trying to get the wind. It's not working. He's still just moving around, shuts up, half hour goes by. Then you hear him moving up a little bit more. So we follow him, get to another spot, bigger, same same situation, and he's just not wanting to commit, not, not liking it yet. Basically, my question is, what would you do in that type of situation? We backed out because we didn't want the wind to switch. He never saw us. I know he never smelt us because of that second time doing the same thing. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so there's a couple things that I think about in those situations. Um, you know, one of the reasons that they might be holding up is, is, you know, like, especially because it's a little bit early, they can be pretty timid. Another thing is, you know, they're just looking for that visual cue, like something maybe with the setup seems off. Um, and I think a couple of the things that seem off to elk that like, Hmm. This is like where they're, they're like – they get them so close, but they're like, hey, at some point I should see a cow. I should see a bull. I should see something, right? Um, but the other thing is like I think one mistake that people make when they're calling elk is they're they are calling and they're sounding like a bunch of elk, yet that bull isn't hearing any of those sticks breaking. He isn't hearing any of that noise. Like we sit there and we call real quiet, but the only sounds we're making are elk sounds, and it, it seems a little odd to elk sometimes. So they're like, okay, well now I'm going to wind them. Now I've got to see something. What's going on here. Why aren't, why am I not seeing anything? Um, so one thing that I do is uh, there was two of you, one, one guy calling, one guy hunting. Yeah. So correct?
7: I was um, yep. popping sticks off back from mom calling my okay. buddy's about 40 yards up yep. in front of me in that spot where we know he's just barely going to come out somewhat. And yeah, yep. d- sit, we, d- yeah, exactly. So I'm, yeah listen to all your stuff you're 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 awesome man you help out a lot and giving it all that that go you know making some sticks pop and whatnot but it's that same thing that visual you know i I mean we don't have decoys whatnot but we have gotten to come out when they're still timid like that it's but yeah this one i I feel like he's just an old bull and just he knows this area really good another thing is they kind of yeah they kind of they kind of logged part of it too around so it opened up more areas whatnot so with that visual I mean not there and just you know doing what you can but not trying to give too much away that pretty much just like looking for a pro tip on that
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like in those scenarios where it's like, man, these bulls are, they're getting to that, like they're getting to that cover where they feel safe. Then they're looking to see what's going on. Um, sometimes you just have to get more aggressive and it's like, it works really well when you've got a caller and a shooter, because you know, you just say, okay, I'm going to stalk in closer and then I'm going to let this guy call further back. Like, you know, Hey, I'm all, if you're always, you know, 20 yards shy or getting to the point where you think that bull's going to come to like getting to the hold up point and then letting the guy call. Um, you know, it can be hard to do sometimes and, you know, you go, okay, well, you don't want to bump them or what have you, but sometimes that's your best approach is like – you know, and especially if both of you are hunting, I've had that same thing happen where it's like, okay, he's not coming in. Uh, me, we we do, me and my brother do this a light, like, okay, that bull held up on that ridge of the thick stuff. He's looking down here and he's just not going to commit fully to coming in because he doesn't have to. Um, so the next time, you know, my brother will go up even for like, get into that spot where that bull would be likely to go. And then I would hold back and call half the time that works. And sometimes that bull just then decides to commit and ends up coming to the collar because you guys are spaced out a little bit further than you'd like. Um, But, you know, I I found success that way where you just kind of go, okay, we got to anticipate like we're going to have to push it in some way sometimes and just get a little more aggressive and get in tighter as the shooter and then let the collar hang back a little bit. Um, the hard part is, you know, just knowing when, when that caller needs to move up and when that scenario is busted. So you don't waste too much time in a, in a position where it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta keep moving up. Um, you know, so having some form of like what, what my brother and I do is just like as the shooter, having some form of like, okay, if I make this certain call, now it's time to move. So I'll, I'll give it like a, <coughs> and that means, okay it's, it's time to move, um, you know, and, and just kind of communicating with the caller and the shooter, but just getting a little bit further apart and trying to anticipate where that bull might come
7: to, um, you know, pushing it a little bit. Right on. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so with the caller and shooter moving out. So this basically kind of like a horseshoe, whatnot, bulls right in the middle of our um, triangle Wind still going, coming at us. Yep. Um, would you, uh, say me caller kind of circled down below him? and start calling you think that might push him up a little bit towards the shooter or do you think that's just going to turn him around and just right towards me whatnot i mean we all we hunt with when we're calling it's both bows are knocked because we've had that bull come into a call or whatnot so yep. many times <laughs> so. yeah you know sometimes what
0: i like to do is i like to try to get those scenarios as the caller where the bull has to get like like you think about it like he wants to be curious he wants to investigate so get into that position where he can um investigate and feel safe but you already got your shooter in that in that position where he's going to come to right so it's like as the caller like if i've got a bull calling on one side maybe i'll i'll go up and on the, on the backside of the ridge. So it's like, hey, he's gonna he can come to this ridge and he's going to have a real good view and he's going to feel safe and he can look down in here and see what's going on. But I, I know that he's not going to fully commit to crossing this opening. It'd be pretty rare. So what I try to do is just as the caller kind of position myself to where I can draw a bull to those safety locations where he can look from and feel like, oh, I'm not going to commit, but I just want to see what's going on and then have a shooter um, there. And, and like you say, you just don't know. Sometimes they just go... Yeah. And just walk straight to you, you know, they just something switches in their brain and they say, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm thinking I'm going to go check that out. Um, but for the most part, that's like, I think that's the hardest part about bow hunting elk is just uh, the bulls that hang up where they're interested, but not interested enough to walk straight in. And that's, I think that's just standard elk behavior, you know, so you just try to think about, okay, where can, where is he going to be comfortable coming into if he's coming into a hundred yards every time and he's just peeking over or just on that ridge you know get a guy to, to sneak in and then hold back and call until the guy ahead of you says now it's time to move we gotta we gotta keep going he's not here or whatever
7: yeah right sense. on yeah the squirrels don't ever help either too they always set them off No, (laughs) exactly.
0: Yeah. They, they go like, huh, something's messed up here. And, you know, I've used decoys in the past, but I, I don't carry them around all the time because sometimes it's just more of a pain than it's worth. You know, sometimes just, just, especially when you've got two guys, one hunting, one call, or, you know, one guy specifically calling from behind you can do a lot of things that you can't when you're by yourself so um you know sometimes the decoys can help in those scenarios but sometimes they actually don't help you know it just depends on the temperament of the elk and what they've seen before um so i think the best strategy is just getting a guy set up like calling further from your your shooter and getting him set up like getting just more aggressive with getting into position and then using that like terrain strategy of like just trying to call the bull to a safety spot right not trying to call the bull in just trying to get him to get curious and, and come to where the shooter's at
7: okay that makes sense right on yeah. yeah hang up in those timber yeah. getting those timber wait for him to come get nice and safe yep
0: yeah awesome. exactly well i appreciate you calling in and you are our lucky winner of the schnee's bear tooth boots no way so Congratulate! Yeah, so oh man, uh, they're, they're an awesome. incredible pair of boots. Uh, yeah, they're they're pretty solid. I actually, you know, I always talk about like oh, breaking boots, breaking boots. Well, I had a brand new pair last week uh, on a caribou hunt, and I'm like literally took the tags off because I um, I left I accidentally left my boots. Uh, somewhere where I was hunting, and a friend accidentally took them with him. So I was like, shit, I need a new pair. So I had a new <laughs> pair of boots, and I was like, ah, man. And I, I put them on, it went 11 miles, and like, no problem. So the nice thing about them is they're, they're, they've they're they got a real flexible sole. So you, I mean, like, you could start wearing them mid season. That's what I really like about those boots. So uh, yeah, this is a pretty sweet pair of boots. And uh, just, you know, uh, send me, do you have Instagram or access to it?
7: I do okay send
0: me a message a direct message on there and i'll make sure to get those shipped i'll get those shipped out today so you should have them for whenever so um yeah congratulations
7: right Oh man that'll be coming from uh dip schmidt that's my last name schmidt so
0: <laughs> perfect all right well uh, appreciate the call thanks for calling in and good luck this season keep me posted Hopefully, tomorrow morning, you send me a picture of that bull down. So, Oh, buddy, if I All get right that bull tomorrow morning, you're getting tagged in it. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. Well, good luck to you guys. Yeah, take care. Good luck. Yep, catch you later. Bye. All right. We got our next caller here. Dave. Hey, how's it going, Dave? Not bad.
5: How are you, Remy?
0: Yeah, pretty good.
5: Good. Uh, so... Where I'm at, there's not so many elk, but we got lots of moose. And I've been lucky enough to draw an early season moose tag. So the tag's from September 10th to September 24th. And what I want to know is, is that too early to call? Is it going to be worse? Should I just sit quietly and wait by the lake I'm planning on sitting? And also, with moose hunting... um, I've heard it pays to be a bit more patient, hang out in the same spot, and sort of let them come because they sort of move on their own time kind of thing. How long before you would move on yep. to a new spot if you're not getting any responses?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I would definitely call. I mean, um, I like calling. It is a little early, but uh, where How? Where are you guys – I mean, just what province or just kind of just to get an idea of how far north you are. Is it Alaska? Is it Canada?
5: Terrace, British Columbia. Okay. And
0: are they Shirus moose or uh, – Canadian moose. Canada moose. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, calling is a, is a good strategy. I never, I like, I kind of always call when I'm moose hunting. Um, I call late, I call early, uh, because you just don't know at what stage the, the moose are going to be into. Um, you know, I would say it just depends on the type of terrain you're hunting, how long you're calling from a specific spot. So when I'm in the mountains and I'm calling, I know that that, that sound can travel a lot further. Um, but it might take the moose a little bit longer to get there. So if I'm overlooking like a good Creek bottom or something, I'm calling, I might give it 45 minutes, an hour, but I'm also, you know, in a spot where I can glass and I go, okay, I feel like I've covered this. If you're in that more like bog terrain, flat country, real thick timber, um, you know, you, you're kind of calling to moose as they come into that sound shot. Right. So maybe your sound there is only traveling a couple hundred yards. So that might be something where it's like, Hey, I'm going to sit in this particular spot for a lot longer,
5: more of a all day sit. Well, it's kind of where we're at. It's kind of like both of what you described there. It's uh, it's coast mountain country. So it's steep and it's thick.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, in in those kind of scenarios, I mean, what I like to do is I I like to like, I would move around, I would broadcast my calls kind of down into the bottoms, down into the bottoms and say like, okay, well, how long is it going to take a moose to kind of get to me from how far I think it could be. In some of that country, you I mean, one, if you got another guy with you, would separate just a little bit and be like, hey, how far can you hear this call from, right? Um, so I kind of do a combination in that country of like still hunting and calling. So I'm like calling to elk that are, or sorry, moose that are like 300 yards away. And I'm saying like, okay, I'm kind of just still hunting and looking. But if I happen to get into a position where there's a moose that hears it and wants to, then he's gonna be in within you know, a little bit of time, the 50, 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever. Um, you know, so in, yeah, I, I probably in that scenario being early, I would do kind of that combination of still hunting, moving, calling, still hunting, moving, calling, uh, where it's just kind of like a a constant flow of like, okay, you're checking those spots, you're glassing, you're looking, but you're calling because if you get one that wants to play, then it brings them to you, you know. Um, and then, and then when you find those areas where it's like, okay, I smell that that moose smell. I, I know that there's moose in here. Then maybe I'm gonna slow down and say, I'm gonna sit here like those the spots where you, you just trust your gut, man. When you get that feeling of like. This feels good here. Yeah, I, I know the one you're talking and about. Sit, call, and wait for a little bit longer. Yeah, you're like, man, it just—it's real moosey here. Um, sometimes I'll sit in those spots for two or three hours and and just say like, okay, I'll do a little bit of calling and then just watching. Um, so I think that I think that kind of doing all that is a good combination of you know giving them enough time, but also you know not not just trusting that they're going to come in um, where you can kind of move around and, and hopefully spot something as well.
5: Right on. Right on. Thank you so much. That's a really good, uh, yep. that's really going to help. That's uh, helping with the strategy for sure. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, b- best of luck to you. Cheers. All right. Let's go to our next caller here. We'll take a couple more calls. I got a little bit of time left. Uh, welcome to the Live Wild podcast.
4: Hey, Remy. Can you hear me?
0: Yep. I got gotcha. you. Hey,
8: so me and my buddy are going elk hunting uh, in Montana later this month. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering about where we should camp on the first night when we hike in. Um, should we camp, like, high or low on the mountain? You know, I'd like to be able to, like, locate the elk by hearing the night vehicles if we were camped up a high. But I just want to make sure it's not too much of a risk that we would bump elk, uh, you know, with our thermals pulling our scent down. Um, so I just, what would you recommend, like, high, low, on the middle of the mountain?
0: Yeah. You know, I think like on the first day, I I generally, it depends on like the country that I'm hunting a lot, but generally I'm, I'm, I'm starting low. Um, because you know, yeah, like you say, you just don't want your, your scent to blow down into those elk that are probably coming down lower, um, in the evening. Another thing is, you know, just kind of like that first day, you don't really know what's where, Um, so I try to kind of play it a little more cautious that first evening. Like I'd rather walk a little bit more in the morning. Um, and then as I start to figure out what the elk are doing, then I can kind of say, okay, well, here's a safety zone. Um, you know, I will say though, that like, I I don't really think I've, you know, maybe it's just, you know, you maybe don't really know the real answer, but, um, sometimes, sometimes I'll be hunting. It's like, Hey, I'm cruising this Ridge and and I'm up high and and that's where the good camping is. And that's where it's easy to access. And I'm not really blowing elk out from here, but I think you can kind of get a better grasp of that once you've been around for a day or two. Um, so the first time I go into a spot, I generally just kind of try to find a place that I'm like, yeah, here's a good place to camp. It's a good spot to stop for today. And then I can kind of hunt around and see what's going on and maybe just make a better play or a better decision in the morning, um, if that makes sense. That first day, I kind of play it safe. And then after that, I kind of get a better feel of like, okay, I'm moving around. I'm going to be up on this ridge. That's a, it's a better place to hear and see from and be set up first thing in the morning. So maybe it's just worth camping up there. But the first day I would say, uh, you know, I I generally play it on the side of caution and pick a spot that I feel like is just going to be out of the way of where the elk are going to be.
3: Okay sounds good I really
0: appreciate it yeah and you know i mean if you're backpacking in your camp's so minimal and i mean there's been times where i've been camped and had bulls bugling like right around me i don't necessarily know that it um is like a it's going to destroy your hunt uh you know if you're you're camped there a lot you're making a fire you're making a noise you're doing all this stuff your scent's blowing right to you're like camped by a, an open meadow where they're feeding yeah that's gonna that's gonna detract yeah. from what's going on the next day but you know if you're just kind of tucked into some timber where it's like they've they've got real no reason to be where you're at right there but you're in earshot from some areas and your winds kind of in a general direction that's probably not where the elk are gonna be you'll be fine wherever
3: cool thanks man i appreciate
0: it yeah yep appreciate it thanks for your question good luck out there thanks all right, we got time for, I think, maybe two or three more questions here. Let's go to this caller. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing, Remy? Yeah, pretty good. How are you?
3: I'm pretty good. This is uh, Colton Wall from Texas. Uh, just got a quick question. <clears throat> um, so me and my buddy usually go to Colorado, Southern Colorado. Uh, this would be the fourth year. We've gotten lucky in the past. I think we're two for three. So uh, I guess hunting whitetails, one of our tactics we like to do is sit wallows a lot. And we've had good luck with that. Um, But we usually go at the end of of September. This year we're going the beginning, we're going the first week, and it's going to be, I see, hot. And I'm not really worried about the moon because we're going to, you know, we don't really look at that. But I see it's going to be a full moon. Um, Would you say, like, that could still be a good tactic as far as, like, hunting early September, especially if they're not talking much?
0: Yeah. I mean, hunting wallows can be a really good tactic early September, but the activity at the wallow is going to be completely different. So, um, you know, generally they're going to be like hitting those wallows as water sources. Uh Um, so I actually would almost think about like, sometimes the wallows, like they they might use them as a drinking water source because, okay, it's like, it's a water source, it's a spring and then it becomes, um, wallow. Now, you know, it's a wallow and it attracts them to that specific part because they kind of use it as a perfume station later on. So as the rut progresses, they use it more and more and more. Peak rut, they're using wallows more than they are early in the season. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's a stream running, right, and it's a stream that runs to a wallow that runs to a stream and they're using it for water, then they might just be like, well, no, I'll just hit, hit water here in this part of the stream. Okay. Um, now, if you find an area where it's like, oh, here's here's more of a setup where it's like, eh, it's an isolated wallow. Um, it's not really in a, a, a running creek or something like that, and it can be used as a good water source plus as a wallow, then that's a good strategy. Um, sometimes what I'll think about looking for early season two is just like, Um, sometimes there'd be like a a water tank or or whatever you know Mm -hmm. depends on the type of country right so if it's mountains you might not find those tanks but maybe just more of like a oh this is a good water source so you might want to think about that as like when you're selecting the wallow being more specific about the wallows you're selecting right if you got a good wallow in a stream maybe that's not the ideal place because it's like hey they can they aren't you know, unless it's like a good travel corridor and you're seeing lots of sign, lots of tracks, like they're moving up and down that stream bed, perfect. If you found a wallow that's on a hillside by itself, kind of in an area where there's not as much water, that's the one I would sit compared to the area where it's like, oh, here's five or six, you know, potential places to drink. So, because right. um, you, you now they might be wallowing in it as well. But you just kind of want to pinpoint it based on like – think about it in two ways. Like, hey, I'm thinking about it as a water source and I'm also thinking about it as a wallow because you don't know the activity till you get there. Um, I mean I've had – a last year, first week of the September 1st through the 3rd, the elk were just going crazy, right? They're hitting walls, They're wallowing. Um, but it seemed like the activity wasn't as strong as it was – um other places right i had some cameras set up on some good wallows and like i didn't catch a single bull using those okay but yet they were being active in in other places so um you know it's a little bit of a strategy game that time of year and it it depends on what the elk are doing but it can be definitely a good strategy uh to break out when you're hunting earlier season and the elk aren't making a lot of noise right
8: right yes sir well i appreciate it man that was a lot of help and
3: uh big fan of yours so keep up good work man
0: yeah thanks appreciate it and thanks for calling in i I really appreciate the question uh best of luck to you guys and hopefully hopefully you tag out i appreciate it man good luck to you guys i mean it sounds like you got a good track record already so keep me posted sounds good
3: i'll tag you in my post if we get one
0: awesome good work yeah talk to you later thanks all right is this ryan
8: hey yeah this is ryan can you hear me how's it going man hey good
0: yep i got you
8: yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, big fan, obviously, since going the distance, so thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my question is, uh, I was shooting my bow, I was um, at my backyard, and I think my knock split, but basically it, like, dry-fired. And both of the cams bent, and then I took, like, another shot or two. It sounded really weird i heard a little scratch and then after like two more shots i was like what's going on and i look and i the cams as they went through the risers like scratched it a little bit and um so i was talking talking to a buddy and he was saying yeah you can replace the cams but i was wondering just have you ever had anything like that is the bow compromised should i just is it like get a new bow time or could i is is that repairable
0: yeah so i mean i i You know, you've got to – I would definitely take it to a bow shop and have someone look at it because I don't want to tell you something and then the bow blow up on you. You know what I mean? Um, Generally, yeah, it sounds like uh, the cams are obviously the cams. I I wouldn't shoot it anymore for sure. Um, And you should be able to replace the cams. You know, uh, generally when something – like when the string – like a lot of times what will happen during a dry fire is the string will actually – rip and then what happened, you know, or or separate, um, like through that, however it happens. Um, that's when you get a lot of problems with the limbs, you get problems bending the riser because you're putting pressure in a really weird way. It sounds like you probably got lucky and the cams are just bent Um, in which case you should be able to replace the cams and everything else should be fine. I would definitely take it to a bow shop and have them look at it. Um, but I would think that just replacing those cams, I'd probably replace the cams and the strings to be honest. Um, because you just don't know if something kind of maybe got severed or weak or whatever through that, you know, those extra couple shots. Um, but it sounds to me like probably replace the cams and everything will be fine. Um, so okay. that that's that's where i would start you know uh you, you can i would inspect everything though um you know inspect the limbs um, i definitely wouldn't draw it back anymore because what could happen is you know it could rub against the string the cam could and then cut the cut the busket cut anything um and that's when you get really bad problems things start to fly off at that point so um i just definitely uh you know Re- try replacing those cams. Inspect the limbs. Make sure they aren't leaning one way or another. Uh, make sure they aren't split anywhere. Um, the risers should be fine. Um, there's you know, not a lot of crazy amount of torque going on. Like everything's still in in place in some way. So it sounds to me like, yep, just replace the cams and you'll be good to go. Re- replace the cams and string.
8: Okay, cool. And then do you have time for one more question? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, so I uh, went back this summer and listened to all your cutting the distance, and you talk a lot about mule deer, but um, I'm looking to, I'm in Washington, I'll be hunting um, elk, I'm doing elk, bear, and deer on the west side this year, and um, I was yeah. interested in some black, you don't talk a whole lot about blacktail, and just in terms of, like, where to look, where to glass, when I'm, you know, looking at those topos, like, for blacktail, what am I really looking for for them in terms of where they hang out, and then any calls uh, that would work that you have experience with blacktails?
0: yeah that's a, that's a good question um you know the only calls that i've used oh, i'll start with the calls thing the calls that i've used for black tails have been like a fawn in distress call um it works you know on the sitka blacktails i haven't really tried it on columbia blacktails to be honest um you know it seems to work all right on the sitka blacktails i don't really use it that much though um you know, I don't know why, just, I do like to call a lot of stuff. So a fawn in distress call can work. I you know, it's, it's worth giving a try, but probably early season, it wouldn't be as good as it would be late season. What you're kind of doing is inciting them to kind of run in and protect whatever that fawn is. Now, when I think about like blacktails, their behavior is different than meal deer. I think of it, Their like blacktail behavior is kind of like a cross between white tail behavior and mule deer behavior. Um, and, and being that they, they do like that cover. Um, they use that cover as the, kind of their safety net. Uh, so they, they live in a lot smaller area. Um, you know, they, they travel less. They have, they're have they more patternable, often like uh, a whitetail would be. So, you know, the key is kind of to find that blacktail's home. Um, one thing that you can do, though, is uh, – you know, focus on like, they live in a lot of cover. So finding those places where it's like, hey, there's some clear cuts where you can glass those mornings and evenings and, and find those trails moving through that stuff. That's a good way to kind of utilize your time and say like, okay. Um, also kind of traveling ridges, they seem to to find those places just like anything, right? They're, they live in really thick cover, but they've got their safety nets and they've got their ways that are easier to walk around. So when you find those good game trails, um, I hunt a lot of blacktails that just kind of like still hunting through and finding those game trails and areas where they they move through. And then you can also be successful just once you figure out where they're at, kind of setting up and hunting them. Like a guy would hunt whitetails, like, I mean, I know a lot of guys that hunt them from tree stands uh, and are very successful. They're just waiting for a certain buck and they they hunt those trails and those, moving, those corridors where there's a lot of sign and they, they've seen deer in the past and they just play that patience game. So um, those are, like, when you think about blacktails, though, think about, like, safety and cover. And then, you know, when you're out there elk hunting, you're going to be glassing those openings and those those clear cuts anyways. Um, and so like watching those fringe habitats f- early in the morning, late in the evening seem to be like when blacktails kind of emerge from that that thick cover. But they do like the safety in that. And when you find a blacktail, um, generally you're going to find them kind of in the same vicinity again because they, they don't travel as much as other deer do it, for the most part i mean you know it's all dependent on you know if you're talking about high in the cascades or whatever they do move a lot um if they're more migratory but uh they can they can hold a tighter area than uh you might find with some mule deer so just a few things to think about
8: okay awesome well thanks man i appreciate all good advice and uh, big fan shout out to my buddy logan he's a huge fan of yours too so uh thanks again for all you do man i really appreciate it
0: yeah right on well thanks for the call i appreciate it and uh best of luck to you guys Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, that concludes our Live Wild Live call in show. Thank you guys so much for calling in. There's quite a few of you that we didn't get time to get to. uh, you know, next time we're going to consistently keep doing these call-ins. Thank everyone so much for, for calling in. I really appreciate you guys listening in, calling in. Uh, thanks for all the questions. Thanks again to Schnees for giving that pair of boots away. Um, it's always fun to be able to give back to you guys that listen. So uh, that, that was really fun for me to do. And uh, thank you guys so much. I'm really excited. It's September now. Elk season's on the way. We've got a lot of great tactics coming up uh, as always, you know, Hey, if you're your questioning, get answered, feel free to reach out on social media at Remy Warren on Instagram. Um, and you know, if you enjoy this podcast, like the Collins, feel free to leave a rating wherever you listen to this podcast, leave some comments on the things you like about it. Uh, if you like the Collins or whatever, you know, let me know. Um, maybe we can end up doing a few more of these in the future, but right now we're just kind of doing a, you know, one a month, but maybe I'll do a few bonus ones as we get in more in depth into the season. It's really fun to be uh, talking to you guys during the season. Cause it's like, Hey, uh, yesterday I was out and this happened. So that real time feedback is really fun. And hopefully uh, you never know. Some maybe somebody will, will find some success with the tactics very soon. So thank you guys so much for calling in until next week. I'm going to say live wild. That's my sign off for these, these live ones. It's a, that's a good one. I won't keep it all the time. I like the awkward goodbye. You know, it's, it's always hard for me to say goodbye. But i catch you guys all next week.